Welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast series, we've invited people we know and admire to tell you their stories. My name's Paula Kotovich. So my name is Craig Sample. Evie Rader. Molly Shorthouse. My name's Percy Knight. I was a career detective in the New South Wales Police Force. I identify as a trans woman. I am a remote doctor in East Arnhem Land. These are people who may not have made the headlines, but whose stories are just as worthy of your attention as those you hear about in the media. Living with cancer. I was struggling with PTSD for eight or nine years. I just had a lot of fear. I was well and truly burnt out. These are people who have flourished and met life's challenges while managing their social and emotional well-being. Uh, my career now uh, is as a mental health advocate and educator. I led a team that negotiated a $22 million native title. It definitely taught me in my life a lot of persistence and given me a lot of strength. We're hoping you'll find something in these stories to inspire you, whatever your situation right now. Eating disorders are a complex set of conditions. Everyone's story is different. I'd like to introduce you to Rosie, who'll tell you something about what her experience of an eating disorder was like and how she recovered. I'm Rosie, I'm 28. I'm from Sydney, but I'm currently living in Adelaide. Um, I'm a language nerd. I can speak German, Spanish and modern Greek. Some of my hobbies include collecting and trying like fancy artisan hot chocolates and actual chocolate too, going to wildlife parks and zoos, baking, reading like bad fantasy books with like a strong female heroine, drinking lots of tea, going to dessert cafes, spending time with uh, friends and family. I've got like a tall ginger boyfriend who people have said looks like a young Prince Harry. So there's that. And I have lived experience with an eating disorder and recovery. I'm living with depression and anxiety. And I'm really happy to talk about it so that people feel less alone and know that it's like not the end of the world. My first experience with mental health as a concept um, is unfortunately one that I think has happened to a lot of people. I was in high school in year 10 and a girl in my group basically developed an eating disorder. We didn't know what that was. It was literally just a short piece of information like that we got once in a health class. We thought she was attention seeking. We didn't understand what she was doing. And, you know, we got kind of catty about it as 16 and 15 year old girls do. She went to hospital and then um, came out again and she seemed normal to me. So I just sort of got back on from where we started being like, okay, cool, you're back to being you. So she was very unwell and we just didn't know what the signs and symptoms of it were. We didn't, she had self-harm injuries, for instance. We just thought it was weird. That's the only thing we would have used to describe it. There was no concept of there being distress or any type of struggle behind what she was going through. And it was only later that I realized it through my personal experience of mental illness. So my first personal experience of mental illness was an eating disorder. But similarly to my friend in high school, I actually didn't know what was going on. I thought I was just on a diet for like no real reason. I just thought, oh yeah, I need to lose weight. And I it's turned into this really, this massive obsession and I didn't realize though that what I was doing was 
um, was disordered. I thought I was just on a diet um, and, you know, stopping eating certain foods altogether, for instance. Again, that didn't raise any alarm bells. And I was only doing what the outside world kind of seems to encourage, unfortunately. I did feel really paranoid and really stressed. Um, but, you know, the word eating disorder, that didn't really mean anything to me at all. And at the same time, because it is an illness, I couldn't sort of see what was happening at the time. I didn't even realize the toll it was kind of taking on my physical health because the way I viewed my body had become sort of super warped. It sort of dampened, I guess, the survival instinct or alarm bells that someone else would have gotten had they suddenly started to rapidly lose weight but not have this illness in their head. Um, and, yeah, you know, like my period stopped and, again, like that wasn't a big deal. It was just like, yep, whatever. Um, so, yeah, a couple of months after finishing the Year 12 exams, I collapsed and had to go on an IV drip. And, again, I didn't feel that anything was really wrong my parents did push me to see various health professionals and I was happy to go because I guess I'm a bit of a people pleaser and I was like okay maybe something's a little bit wrong but I was still trapped in this sort of distorted world and I did kind of want to stop what I was doing the behaviors because they did take up a lot of time and they did often leave me feeling very tired or cold or just you know I guess isolated but I just couldn't stop them the idea of stopping them was just inconceivable um so yeah saw lots of different health professionals and stuff um but in all honesty none of them really were knowledgeable about eating disorders either and that became quite difficult because I was often repeating myself people didn't like believe me when I said what was the truth to me and often I was questioned, I think I wasn't trusted as well. And I began to get very resentful. I did try my best and it was really helpful when my parents, for example, uh, it was really helpful when my parents ate meals the same time as me and ate the same as me. Uh, it just made me feel, I guess, a bit less alone in having to have like the Hobbit, ah, second breakfast kind of thing. And as well, eating out with friends also really helped just to get a bit of, I guess, diversity in there um but it was still quite it was still quite the challenge and there was a lot of pressure um especially from the doctors um there was a lot of pressure to gain weight and in the end I felt like that was all that they were focused on and I would have liked someone to have acknowledged how hard it was for me and that I was trying but in the end um I feel like my efforts basically sort of weren't recognized and one day basically after I don't know maybe eight or nine months or so into uh, treatment, um, I, I sort of snapped and I started binge eating. And that's not like that sort of emotional enjoying a bit of chocolate or a buffet or a party or anything like that. It was a really frightening type of eating that I'd never seen before or experienced before where I just had no control and couldn't stop. And this developed into another kind of eating disorder and it developed quite rapidly and I think maybe it's just because the the doctors didn't take it seriously. And at this time, as like the months went on, uh, I basically began to develop depression and anxiety. Again, words that were sort of more feelings then than like an actual diagnosis or, or catchphrase. It was basically this bully began to live in my head, insulting everything I did and said 
where nothing I said or did was ever good enough. It was always uh, insulting my intelligence, my capacity to be a good person. I began to really, really loathe myself. I This self-hatred that I had for my body was just so intense. It felt like it was spilling out of me and I just couldn't cope with how much I hated myself, my appearance and myself as a person, my being. And I began to self-harm as well, I suppose, as a way to cope. And again, I got told to stop and that it wasn't good to do it. And that was that. Um, and yeah, so it was really frustrating and quite terrifying. I did began to develop suicidal thoughts. Um, and it is important to note though that on the outside, I looked pretty good. My weight was healthy. So I was like biologically sound. And I was going to uni um, because studying at uni, it helped give me normality and a sense of purpose amongst all the doctor's appointments. And because I'm a nerd, I was getting good marks. So I was seeing friends, family. I met, you know, um, my gorgeous boyfriend, Prince Harry slash Ginger Man. And there was all of that. But on the inside, I was actually thinking of all the different ways I could take my own life. Um, so it was very hard to try and express just how difficult things were for me when I actually looked all right and was functioning well and all that type of thing. Yeah. And so it, it was really tough. And sometimes I did feel like I deserved to suffer because I hated so, myself so much. I deserved to injure myself on purpose and I deserved to suffer through the binge episodes. And sometimes what I was doing, it felt so surreal. Like I was seeing it like not through my own eyes, but through someone else, like looking down on me as if it wasn't actually happening. And I'd get all these weird, I guess, thoughts and urges. Like I would daydream of being in a coma just so I wouldn't have to experience my life. I just wanted a break from it all. And and that was why I often wished for um, an accident to happen to me, such as a car accident, so that way I'd be able to not exist, but at the same time not give any of my loved ones that sense of guilt because they were really supportive in their own way through uh, hugs and listening and reassuring me that I wasn't a hateful person, but in the end, my my brain was too dark and no one could keep me safe from myself, not even myself. Um, I realized I needed hardcore professional help. It was just the wake-up call of how close I'd come to taking my own life. So I ended up dropping out of uni for a semester and with the help of my parents, I went to a psychiatric hospital for six weeks and that just gave me the professional help I needed. And it was like quite exhausting. It was a full-time job. Recovery is a full-time job. It was at times lonely and it was really exhausting and tiring, but it was exactly what I needed. And I was finally getting the support I needed. And while it was so great is because they were specialists and they knew what they were doing. So I met a really lovely psychologist who I actually still see now. And she was kind. She listened to me. She acknowledged my pain and I also had a dietitian who worked with me like step by step who understood like what she was asking of me and how that it was actually challenging. And so she basically, we took things more slowly, more gradually. I had a lot more say in what was going on and we were able to, I guess, collaborate and make, uh, I guess, you know, compromises on both sides and it was what I needed. And I also got my antidepressants changed um, so they actually, to ones that actually worked. So instead of just feeling like I was taking this random pill that did nothing, I had less feelings of hopelessness and grief. 
and a little bit more, I guess, clarity in my mind. And so that was really helpful. And so with being inpatient and then doing group therapy and outpatient therapy, I was able to basically get back on track um, very rapidly towards recovery. And it did make me realize how I had like bad luck with health professionals before. And then while it was like really annoying and frustrating, the fact that my parents pushed me and nagged me into getting treatment did save my life because they were the ones who were like, oh, try this, try that, try that. And when, you know, you're like a 19 year old, you're like, oh my gosh. But in the end, like I needed that. And it sometimes scares me to think uh, how things would have turned out for me if I didn't have my parents pushing me to get support, but forgiving me for the times that I acted really bratty as a result of resenting, I guess, the times when I did have doctors who weren't helpful. And having those really helpful professionals who were like just kind and not judgmental and listening and professional, it, it made me realize I probably had had bad luck with professionals before. And also um, I try and use that as well when I see my young people at Headspace that they always have an out, that they don't have to do something that they don't want to do or see someone that they don't want to see. It's very important that like they get that choice. What did I need to hear from the doctors when I first sought help? It would have been really nice to hear that, um, that oh, you know, this might be difficult, but I have every faith that you'll be able to do it. I got given, for example, a sort of food plan to follow and then got told to keep a food diary. I had a panic attack in the bathroom later. That was my first. I didn't know what was happening. But anyway, and... Um, was just being like, okay, I'll call your mom to pick you up. And that was sort of that. There was no talk about how, oh, I understand this might be challenging for you or what do you think is wrong? What are you finding most difficult? And it would have been nice as well for them to, I suppose, ask the right questions and that's more on them with clinical professional knowledge because, I would do everything they said. I would eat the food that they told me to, but they didn't. But, you know, the eating disorder is very, very tricksy. So I did make shortcuts. I did everything they told me to, but I still made shortcuts because they hadn't told me to not make the shortcuts. And so then when I wouldn't gain weight and then they'd be like, oh, you know, okay, eat more. When I did gain weight though, and I'd be proud of myself, they would make jokes being like, oh, do you have rocks in your pocket or something like that? Um, and that kind of hurt because I was trying really hard and it would have been nice just for them to know that I was, I was trying and believe me when I said, no, I have been eating everything you've been telling me to, if they had the right knowledge, they would have been able to ask about, for example, compulsive exercising, but none of them did. Uh, yeah, I have no clue whether if they'd asked the right questions, I wouldn't have gone so downhill. I really don't know. I mean, in the end, like I learned something from each experience. But I reckon I, at the very least, um, it would have been a lot less distressing and it would have been a bit less traumatic, I guess, and made me a bit less cynical. And when I... I did get, you know, totally better from my eating disorder and stuff. Love food now, trust my body. But I have had some really bad depressive episodes um, because the brain decided to keep things interesting, give me some depression and general anxiety. 
And when I got a really severe depressive episode, um, I was very reluctant to see a psychiatrist because I've just had such bad experiences with them. And it took quite a while for me to get off my feet and make an appointment. And I was really, really nervous just because of, yeah, just because of my experiences. So I think it would have, I think who knows what would have happened with my eating disorder recovery, but it would have made it much easier for me to seek help in the future. And I'm still wary of psychiatrists and I'm still wary of other certain health professionals as well. Um, so if something were to happen and I needed to see, for example, a general dietitian, I'd probably, yeah, not see one for a while until it got really bad. Back at uni, feeling really hopeful and happy. And it was actually really nice because I developed a really strong love for food that I still have. It's one of my biggest self-care activities in all honesty and it's really nice having a sort of comfortable trust with my body as well um I was I suppose rewarded for doing the right thing and was able to sort of relax and untangle everything as I got better with that my social anxiety began to dissipate because I did feel very self-conscious and hating on myself a lot for the things that I see in social situations like I'd hide in the bathroom during parties and things like that but I went back to being a bit more me, so a bit more, I guess, bubbly, carefree, making really lame jokes, not understanding sarcasm, just being me and just being able to be more present with spending time with friends and family and uh, things like that. And I still saw my psychologist and we began to work on, I suppose, just like other stuff, bits and bobs, leftover compulsions I suppose here and there a couple of small hurdles but it was a very kind of exponential way upwards from the eating disorder um it was really nice and it was also able to help me get better get closer to my parents as well I think afterwards because I was like oh I was really sick thanks for sticking by me kind of thing and apologized for being I guess really impolite (laughs) with them um when they were I guess you know pushing me to see all the appointments and stuff and they were I think just you know happy that I'd survived and was on the other side and yeah so I did get general anxiety though and that's kind of popped up ebbed and flowed over the years and has been a sort of different thing to deal with and then also um the depression now and then like every couple of years or so so like um about two or three years after being after coming out of hospital, it flared up again and was um, bad enough that it did give me suicidal thoughts again. And it was very different to deal with this pure depression. And I was very disillusioned because I had been told that my depression was related to my eating disorder and that when I would get better, I wouldn't have depression anymore. But that wasn't the case. I did feel like I'd gone backwards And I was quite sort of upset by that, that, you know, I'd worked so hard to get better only to fall back down again. But with the help of, for example, my psychologist and my boyfriend, I was able to be reminded of actually how far I'd come and how I had made like massive steps and everything like that. Um, I was able to stay safe. And in the end, it was just a medication change that helped, I think, the chemicals in my brain get back to normal and everything. And 
I got another depressive episode a couple of years later, which again was really, really tough. But what I'd finally sort of learned in between there was that I had really nice moments in between and that I had sort of reasons for holding on. So, for example, between like um, my eating disorder recovery and then my first sort of what I call depressive episode, I'd just done some really nice things like going overseas to Germany to do exchange there, reading some really cool movies and books, meeting like the funniest uh, university lecturers and stuff like that and just some really nice moments with friends and family. And it was the same story between the two depressive episodes as well, like working overseas in Spain and seeing like a baby wombat and its mum in the wild, horse riding in the Netherlands, um, just spending time again with loved ones. I was able to sort of hold on to that to be like, okay, eventually like I'll sort of recharge the battery and be able to like get joy that matches this pain and like with the most recent one which was in 2019 things did get pretty bad I did like the depression sort of got pretty strong like I became this forgetful zombie where I would make mistakes at work and forget what I had and hadn't said you know I was like not really caring about responding to messages from friends or washing my hair or anything like that. Um, and it just, I began to self-harm again as well. But the dangerous apathy that is depression, of course, I didn't care about it at the time. And I ended up going back inpatient again voluntarily just for a couple of weeks just to stay safe and get my meds sorted out just because at that time I just didn't feel like I had the capacity to keep myself safe anymore. Um, and it was just more comfortable and less of a massive burden on myself to try and keep myself safe all the time when there were people who could do it for me. It was the same hospital as last time, just a different unit. So I was able to like, I guess, feel a bit less scared going there. And yeah, just with the doctors and collaboration, I was able to get a combination of meds that lifted my mood again, gave me a bit of will to live back and just got my concentration and ability to remember things again. And yeah, again, I sort of felt I did feel like a bit of a failure because by this time a lot of people had moved out and got in their PH, were doing PhDs or getting full-time jobs and stuff like that. But I just sort of had to acknowledge that I'd done, I'd gotten my, I had my own sort of challenges and obstacles that I'd overcome. And I was actually legitimately proud of myself when like I got my uni degree because for all of it, I wasn't well, but I still like was able to achieve those studies. And I was proud of myself for that. It was difficult because I did feel as if I'd gone backwards and made no progress I was like surely I'd be beyond this by now you know I, I was like older you're supposed to have your life together by this point right according to the internet and it was very difficult but I think the support of my friends and family really helped because I'd started to have more open conversations for example with friends and people who I thought actually totally had it all together didn't and it'd be really nice to have these open vulnerable conversations and banters about medication and panic attacks and just things like that where we sort of were able to talk and it was just a normal thing to like have struggles and not have everything together and people visited me and that was also really nice and I got a bunch of really cool presents you know flowers magazines cards just as if someone who was stuck in like a normal hospital for a while would get and it felt really good 
that my struggles were seen as like legitimate and not weird and that um, I guess, you know, if it had been like a physical illness that had flared up again, you know, I, why would have I felt shame because I really didn't have control over it. I was doing well by staying safe and, you know, in this for the second time I was taking time off work, which I really, really enjoyed to, uh, yeah, to go to hospital and stuff like that. So in the end it was like an achievement actually. Uh, but yeah, work was really good about it. Um, this was back at the opera house and I was really nervous about like being like, Hey, I'm gonna, it's, you know, busy season, but I'm going to leave for a month. Um, and I told like my boss about it and she full on hugged me because she knew people, um, like, uh, like close in her personal life who had depression. She told me that, um, and told me to just take as much time as I leaved and there'd be a place for me when I came back. And then when I did come back, everyone was like hugging me and saying I looked well and it was just, you know, no one was like, and then people opened up as well about their experiences a bit with like PTSD and OCD and where we were a motley crew, like you'd have people who are 19, you'd have people who were like 70 um, and everyone was just chipping in about their different experiences with like mental health problems and stuff and it was just really nice. what have I learned about mental health from all these experiences is that it's really important to be like compassionate and not judgmental to like myself, but also others, because I was, I really regret being judgmental um, to my friend back in high school, but I think it helped me realize the capacity for suffering that is not visual um, and it's also helped me to, I suppose, accept the importance of like just taking care of your mind of how like a mental sick day is so valid, um, just like a physical sick day, so to speak. And it's made me really proud, I think, of myself too. Like it's shaped a lot of who I am, like my values of enjoying food. So for me, my self-care involves going on an unlimited budget to like San Churros or getting like champagne and cheese fondue with my partner because I worked so hard to really, really hard to enjoy food again. And now it still fills me with like a really precious joy. And that's like over seven-ish years or like over, I can't do maths very well, but like many, many years later and it's still really precious to me. And I think that sort of says something um, about like how something can be precious when I guess it wasn't, it became, it was such a torment for so long and to like things like not minding my appearance, just being okay with what I see in the mirror and stuff like that. I'm super duper lucky to have like family and friends and my boyfriend. Um, they've all helped me in sort of really different ways. And, you know, sometimes if I'm like, the times when I was feeling really, really awful with the depression, just thinking about the people like I love it gave me this sort of comfort and it reminded me that it was like important to stay well. So I'd be able to like fully appreciate their company again. And so everything from like hugs and random acts of kindness, sending memes to each other, meeting up for food, it all helped. So for example, with my eating disorder recovery, my boyfriend would encourage me to get the meals 
that I was a bit more trepidatious about, um, but used to really, really love. And, you know, we'd celebrate it when I would, when I um, made these wins and he would be very, very patient and reassure me every time that I would, I guess, express the hatred that I felt for myself. And, you know, my parents who very patiently put up with my complaining and then were very happy to take me to the appointments and then now just eat in a healthy way and model, I guess, healthy eating behaviours and never talking about weight or body in a sort of unhealthy way, so to speak. And then, yeah, just friends. So uh, a friend knew that I was feeling suicidal, so we met up, like, to play basketball. And I can't play basketball for anything. I'm really uncoordinated. And she was there with her friends who were looking all, like, gangster with hoodies and stuff like that. But they helped me to just feel really, like, a part of it. And I was still really bad. It was just really nice and chill and it was that extra time just being out of the house, delaying um, the urges to act and things like that that just helped me like live that extra night. Um, and then, yeah, or just with another friend, we'd go and have pancakes on the rocks and just completely evilly like destroy chocolate and talk about how hard things were. We could just, we just complained bitterly to each other and none of us no one was going to be like, oh, stop being so negative. Oh, but at least you have this. Oh, you know, but it could be worse. Nah, we were just full on talking about how bad things were. But then afterwards, you know, petering out, just being like, and these pancakes are nice. To manage my mental health, I see my psychologist regularly. And we do stuff, I guess, like learning how to be kinder and more forgiving to myself if I make a mistake or something just so I'm less punishing to myself. Um, I work on learning to live to my values, finding out what's important to me and how to hold on to that. And also I'm on just a combination of medication at the moment and that just basically gives me sort of energy and concentration that the depression would normally take, but it also like slows down and calms the thoughts that anxiety would normally make really loud. Um, I do massive self-care. I'm like a very big self-care person. And also I suppose I do things that give me joy, like work and spending time with friends, family, um, just being honest, I think as well about when I'm feeling not too crash hot, um, and noticing, I suppose my limits for giving support to others, but then also how much like I want support as well. So, yeah, so when it comes to um, digital resources for my mental health, um, I tend to use some of the online chats with real people, not the bots, because I get a bit awkward on phone calls. And um, on a number of times, those have actually been really helpful, especially on a couple of occasions with the online chat with Lifeline. It was really nice how they stayed, I suppose, online with me and reassured me until I was feeling less distressed. And then I suppose as well, I when I was in recovery from my eating disorder, I joined a little private Facebook group just with a bunch of people from all over the world, actually. And I formed some kind of nice sort of intense friendships that were sort of, I suppose, short term. But we really kind of, our stories really resonated with each other because we were all desperately wanting to recover. 
and we shared vic- our sort of victories and wins and everything and supported each other. If any of us had a sort of flip day or little relapse, we did um, a couple of, I suppose, post sort of exchange things. And in fact, there was one lady who even made this this lovely like 3D pottery horse that I still have with me now. And on the hoof, she painted like this little purple love heart because like purple is, I suppose, that stereo- one of the co- colours of like eating disorder recovery and eating disorder awareness and things like that. So that was really meaningful to me. I am a big fan, I suppose, of positive social media stuff, just everything from like recovery, people sharing like recovery wins and stuff like that. But also I really love going on subreddits because now and then there's just some really good memes out there that people share just so you feel a bit less alone in your struggle and it kind of normalises the idea of sometimes mental illness being less of something that you can get better from overnight. And so if I'm feeling in a, a bit sorry for myself or feeling that it's a bit unfair that I'm having like a tough time mentally, going on Reddit and looking at those particular like memes just gives me a good chuckle um, and gives a lot of people, I think, a good chuckle as well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I tend to see my psychologist now via uh, telehealth This is the one way in which COVID was a blessing for me when I moved into state from Sydney. She wasn't the type of person to want to do telehealth, so I was having to try and find someone new, which I'm sure many people know is just a bit of a drag. But then COVID forced her to use telehealth, so I contacted her being like, well, since you have to use it, can you keep on seeing me? And she agreed, and so I was able to basically keep on seeing my psychologist, the one who I've known for several years now, which just makes things a lot easier um, so that I can still get like the connection that I know that I need despite being interstate. The One of the biggest benefits to digital tools that maybe some people don't realise is it's actually really good if you have social anxiety or just general anxiety and it's a bit much to make the effort to have a phone call or talk to someone face-to-face. I think it's a really good kind of stepping stone for interacting with people and talking a bit about your mental health and being exposed to, I guess, mental health resources in a way that seems like a bit less full on. And I think it's also good as well that there's so much out there. So I think there's a lot of choice and that you hear about all these ones that are different for people of like different ages and depending on what's going on for them and stuff like that. I think it's really good. And so I think if I were to like need or want an app in the future, it wouldn't be too hard to find one that would like cater to my needs, whether it be mindfulness and helping with sleep or logging my mood or getting support on OCD things just anything really so a couple years ago I started a blog if you have some spare time on your hands it's just at encyclopediaofrecovery.wordpress.com it was sort of like the A to Z of mental health and mental illness It was sort of fun and fulfilling, I guess, and it didn't get, you know, a huge amount of followers, but now and then people did write some really lovely comments um, that what I wrote resonated with them. And the times that I sort of felt, I suppose, a bit proud of myself, I submitted it to The Mighty and to Butterfly, and it's gone published on both of those platforms. And I think one of my, something that I wrote on OCD got published on like The Mighty's Facebook page and got like a thousand likes. So I was like, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and it was good to know that what I'd written like has resonated 
with people and can, you know, reach people from all over the world. My little dream is to write like a book, like I suppose a physical book and not a digital one, but, you know, just need to get off like my butt to do that. Yeah, so things like, for example, eating out um, and getting churros on an unlimited budget, it reminds me of how proud I am to have recovered from my eating disorder. Um, it's a bit, I guess, extravagant and indulgent, and that's okay. I think when I treat myself in that way, it helps remind me that I have value and that I'm allowed to have fun and splash out and splurge and everything like that. And I don't have to be stingy on myself, whether it be with money or food. And I think as well, a form of forgiveness is rereading bad quality books or watching TV shows. It's allowing myself to, I guess, relax my brain and not give into what is sometimes that pressure to better yourself and further yourself, like all that lockdown pressure to make sourdough bread and all that type of thing. It's, I guess, an alternative where I'm just resting and being me. And sometimes if I'd be drained from a conversation or from work because of um, my mental illness, just being able to stop and do something nice like that, uh, yeah, that, that gives me joy or makes me laugh. Yeah, how can that not be good for your mental health? like not a lot that I'm thinking about future wise I'm really happy with how things are going on a week-to-week basis at the moment seeing some friends here going to markets trying Adelaide has so much cheese and it's great uh yeah so trying the cheese here and the wine and um like my job which I've only been doing for less than a year so continuing to learn there and become closer with my co-workers things like that are really fulfilling like I volunteer at the RDA the writing for the disabled and that's you'd think that it's not fun to get up before 8 a.m so you can spend time with like horses that fart in your face or are really muddy um but it's actually so satisfying um and just you know cleaning them and helping um the people in the lessons and stuff like that and I guess just, yeah, and then looking at the native pigeons that explore our patio and hop around the place. Uh, Yeah, I guess I'm just looking. There's an ice cream festival on soon at the end of this month, so I'm looking forward to that. Thank you for listening. If there's been anything in this podcast that you found distressing, don't forget to talk to your usual support person or call Lifeline on 131114. And if you'd like to hear more in the Being Well podcast series, you can find it on the Black Dog Institute website.